more of the backstory on our Patreon page with exclusive interviews, outtakes, and the Lost Controversial Backstory Podcast. You can only get here. Support on the Backstory Bonus Level. Welcome to the Backstory Podcast. I'm your host, Kobe Cole. This episode is the kings of hip-hop, Run DMC. We like to um, give a positive image to the kids by the lifestyle that we lead. They look at us and they see all the money, the fortune, and the fame, but we try to show them we gained this through hard work and a positive attitude. We didn't gain this by doing negative things, you know what I'm saying? All that stuff with drugs and guns and violence, it's either a jail cell or a coffin, you know what I'm saying, for you to rest your head in. Run DMC, Dougie Fresh, we live this. We are hip-hop. This edition of the Backstory Podcast has so much meaning to me. As a kid growing up during the beginnings of hip-hop, I lived it 24-7. And one of the reasons I wanted to be on the radio was so I could play this music, which I felt wasn't being represented like it was on the streets. The other reason was Run DMC. Their rise was quick and powerful. It was unlike anything that happened in music before. Then there was Dougie Fresh, who dropped two of the most iconic hip-hop songs in history. Both of these artists were a big part of my childhood. To interview them at the same time was one of the highlights of my career. Then you'll get a retrospective interview with Reverend Run, his brother Russell Simmons, and boxing legend Bernard Hopkins. This is a very interesting interview I did in 2005, where you'll hear two brothers in hip-hop talk about their rise to success. And in this interview, Run was just turning 40, and he talks about his current place in hip-hop. You'll also hear a very inspirational story from Bernard Hopkins. My thing was to walk off nine years at 22 years old with the GED with eight felonies. Mm. Nobody's hiring Bernard Hopkins at an office nowhere. Wow. You know that application that says, have you ever been convicted in the last... <laughs> Yo, I couldn't check that mark. I couldn't fill that in. Eight okay. felonies. My first job, which is well documented, at Penn Tower Hotel, which is still existing, right. the Children's Hospital. I worked there a year and a half. They did an article in the Philadelphia newspaper when I was six and one. I lost my first fight as a professional. That was a defeat. I could have gave up. My first right. fight, I lost. Right. Beautiful. I got a write-up. Where did this guy come from? All of a sudden, I was knocking everybody out early. And they did a story, and it says that I've, you know, I've been locked up for robbery and boom, boom, boom. They fired me because I never filed, never attached that to. It's a known fact that hip hop started in the Bronx in the early 70s. Cool Herc was a pioneer of this musical genre. So, as history goes, Cool Herc threw a back to school event on August 11th, 1973, in the Bronx that would change the world. In fact, check out the hip hop doodle on Google. And shout out to the legendary Fat Five Freddy for telling the early story of hip-hop. Plus, it's a really fun tool to play around with. Now, in the early days of hip-hop, most of the artists were coming out of the Bronx. It was the epicenter, and these parties in the streets were art happening in real time. A DJ with two turntables, which was strange because everybody had one turntable. Everybody had albums, and we would play the songs that we like on our one turntable. But these DJs would use two turntables and take these same songs that we like and they would scratch them. These songs that we all had albums for in the house. Or taking a part of the song called the breakbeat and going back and forth while the MC raps. Now the MC is the master of ceremony. If you think about it, it's kind of a strange title, but it's really stuck from day one. The MC, the guy on the mic, has so much power. 
he or she could say things and get lots of oohs and ahs. So New York City in the late 70s and early 80s wasn't this spectacle of wealth and power that it is today. New York was a broken city. It was dirty, crime-ridden, and a very dangerous place to live. The South Bronx was probably one of the most hard-hit areas. After the construction of the Cross Bronx Expressway, which is basically, if you take 95 from Florida all the way up to New England, the Cross Bronx Expressway is sort of like 95's way through the city of New York. This expressway cut right through the heart of the South Bronx, and a lot of people lost their homes. This highway basically led to white flight in the late 50s and 60s as more development happened outside of the city in the suburbs. As a result, the Bronx became a community of poor black and Hispanic people. Jobs were scarce as we had a serious recession in the 70s. A lot of landlords got tired of taking care of their property, so as things would break down in these apartments, they just wouldn't fix it. And usually it would start with the heat breaking, and then families would suffer through those cold New York winters with no heat. Then eventually these awful landlords would have their buildings torched for the insurance payments. It's hard to believe this happened, but it did. You should Google it and read about it. And the Bronx was the biggest victim as there were blocks and blocks of abandoned buildings. It actually looked like a war zone. The 41st Precinct in the Bronx, because of how bad crime was and how the neighborhood looked, was labeled Fort Apache. There was a movie made in 1981 starring Paul Newman called Fort Apache the Bronx. You should check that movie out and you will see exactly what I'm talking about. The crime, the desperation, the destruction of the Bronx. Now, this Hollywood film at the time was highly controversial because of the portrayal of a majority of black and Hispanic people negatively. When the movie was released, there were lots of protests around the country because it didn't really show the good side of the Bronx. But from a visual perspective, looking at the neighborhood and what it felt like at that time was totally evident in this film. There was also a horror movie that came out in the 80s called Wolfen about a pack of killer wolves tormenting New York City. They roamed a lot of abandoned, burnt-out buildings in the Bronx. And when both President Carter and President Reagan toured the Bronx in the 70s and the 80s, respectfully, they stood in these abandoned lots surrounded by piles of debris. Now, you can Google these images and see it for yourself. The recent Netflix series, The Get Down, really captured the look and feel of the Bronx at that time. So why am I telling you all about these abandoned buildings and fires and all this? Because I kind of wanted to paint a picture of where hip-hop came from. Because out of all of this, hip-hop was born. Historically, during the roughest times, when there is a lot of desperation, creative energy thrives. Think of the debut albums for most major artists. Historically, not just hip-hop artists. Usually that first one came out of a deep, dark, desperate place. So back to the Bronx. Poor black and Hispanic kids didn't have any money. They didn't go to clubs. They had block parties, and the DJ would plug his equipment into the light posts. And then there would be an MC, and there wouldn't be any lights, and people would just kind of be out in the streets because the apartments were so hot. Out of all of that, hip-hop was born. So during this time, black radio was strictly about R&B and disco music. But on the streets, starting in the Bronx, it was taking those same R&B disco records but adding an MC. The early hip-hop artists would sample an R&B song because that's all that they knew. That's what we, we listened to. We just rapped on it instead. 
For instance, one of the biggest disco songs in history and one of the biggest songs in 1979 was Good Times from Sheik. One of the first major hip-hop hits was Rapper's Delight, which was three MCs basically rapping over the Good Times beat. But hip-hop was influenced from other kind of music that was happening at the time. A big song that was just totally different, but every kid in the hood was down with, was Trans Europe Express from Kraftwerk. This song had an electric European vibe. And when you hear some of the early hip-hop from the Soul Sonic Force like Planet Rock, it took that same vibe but kind of rapped over it. So that led to a series of electric hip-hop sounding songs that would start to get airplay on the radio, which quickly spread to other boroughs. Now, some of these songs weren't rap songs, but it was just, again, the hip-hop culture created this electric energy songs that were unlike the R&B disco songs that were playing at that time, it was just like a new vibe, an edgier vibe. So you had groups like the Planet Patrol. They had a song called Play At Your Own Risk. Or this group called C-Bank with this song called One More Shot. Freeze had a series of songs, but their biggest one was I.O.U. Then, of course, there's Shannon would Let The Music Play. These songs were kind of considered new age R&B, but very influenced from the hip hop energy of the streets. And frankly, black radio struggled with what to do with this music because it wasn't like the typical R&B music that you would hear. They really changed music and radio adapted to this new vibe, which opened the door for hip hop to take hold and explode. On a previous podcast, I spoke about the early artists in hip hop. Most of them had gimmicks. They dressed flamboyantly. So even though we liked these artists... They did not look or dress how we looked and dressed around the way. I mean, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five were icons, but they wore costumes like many of the R&B and dance groups because dance music was so huge at that time. The dance club scene in New York was, you know, underground and burgeoning just like hip hop was, but they had all the clubs. We, meaning younger B-boys and B-girls, we liked all this exciting music, but we just weren't going to dress like that. B-Boy gear at that time was pro kids with the four stripes or some Converse All-Stars with some Lee jeans. And if you had some dough, you would have the Lee jeans in every color. That was the life of a B-Boy at that time. So in 1983, when this new group hit the scene, it had an immediate impact on a young B-Boy or B-Girl. And that group was Run DMC. Run, a.k.a. Joe Simmons, the younger brother of rap pioneer and visionary Russell Simmons, started out as a teenage DJ for Curtis Blow, who had a series of songs at that time. One of them being the breaks, but of course he had Christmas rapping. And, you know, Curtis Blow was a star, an early star in hip hop. And Russell Simmons managed him at the time. So it was a simple transition for his little brother to be his DJ. Then there was Daryl McDaniels, a.k.a. DMC. He had such a booming voice. One of the early big voices in hip hop. Like he just had an identity with his voice. Run and DMC were friends in Hollis, Queens, and they would go to Two Fifths Park. It's not called that anymore. And they would try to rap for all the DJs out there. You see, hip-hop culture at that time, like I was telling you, it started in the Bronx, but it spread to all five boroughs. And the DJ had immense power and prestige. And in this park in Queens, the top DJ was a guy named Jason Mizell. Run and DMC rapped for him, and instantly they became a crew. Run DMC and Jam Master J. They signed to an independent label, Profile Records, and released It's Like That with the B-side Sucker MCs in March of 1983. That song built through that spring, and by that summer, they had two of the hottest songs in hip-hop. Sucker MC was a clean, simple, intoxicating beat. 
the DJs love cutting that beat up. In fact, you could go to a party and a DJ will cut Sucker MC up just a beat with no lyrics for 20 minutes. Black radio couldn't ignore the power of both of these songs. And if you think about how we talk about stuff going viral or music or artists going viral, in that day and age, Run DMC went viral. Every kid in the hood, starting on the East Coast and spreading across the country, was down with Run DMC. And in 1984, they released their self-titled debut album. It was highly anticipated and quickly was the most popular hip-hop album ever to date. One of hip-hop's first super producers, Larry Smith, provided many of the beats. Check out these lyrics, though, from Hollis Crew. And now the things I do make me a star. And you could be too if you know who you are. Just put your mind to it. You'll go real far like a pedal to the metal when you're driving a car. Then it was Rockbox and Jam Master J. Now, every album, there would be one cut dedicated to Jay, And he would do his thing on that cut. And this was the first one. I mean, here are some famous lyrics. You hear this sampled all the time. J-A-Y are the letters of his name. Cutting and then scratches are the aspect of his game. So check out the master as he cuts these jams and look at us with the mics in our hands. Then take account one, two, three. Jam Master J, Run DMC. Wow. Run DMC's debut album went gold, and they were now hip hop superstars. And Rockbox helped to open them up to a larger, more diverse general market audience. Their video stood out too. And basically they wore the same outfit, which included Adidas sneakers. And at the time, Adidas was sort of like a luxury buy for a kid from the hood. Those sneakers were more expensive, but Run DMC single-handedly changed hip-hop fashion. Kids traded in their pro kids and Converse for leather shell top Adidas. It was the coolest gear to have. Here is Russell Simmons in an interview I did in 2005 discussing the initial reaction to Run DMC, specifically the first few singles. I remember when we made it like that, and nobody liked it. Nobody, except some club DJs who had good sense, could hear something that sounded totally different from everything else. And Rockbox. But wait a minute, let me finish, Rev. Now I'm going to talk. And then the B-side, Suck MC, they want to know where the bass line is. Where's the bass line? Why would you make a record no bass line? But the street could feel it. And then when we made... Jam Master Jay, the loud scratching in the South Bronx in the disco fever where all the rappers hung out. It was so loud, Sweet G spilled his Coke and was mad at me because he wanted me to buy him new Coke because he spilled his Coke because the music was so loud it didn't sound like what was playing. And then when Rockbox came, I remember that everybody who didn't like Rockbox played What People Do For Money and ignored, especially here, ignored right. Rockbox because they were happy to play the, the record that sound like it's like that. Right. So in the best periods, Run only made records that were new and, and, and brought in new things. Mm-hmm. And those records were never, there was never records that sound like this. And even today, MTV, and it's at its very best, is trying to figure out how a rockers and a rappers fit together and it'd be honest and have integrity. Mm-hmm. Run made records that sounded like Run. And even if you play those records right now, they're the best records MTV could play. You'll hear more of this interview later in the podcast. My first hip-hop concert was the Fresh Fest tour in 1984. That was really the first big rap tour that traveled across the country and Run DMC headlined that show and it featured the Fat Boys, Houdini Nucleus, Curtis Blow remember Run was Curtis Blow's DJ but we're literally talking two, three years later Curtis Blow who had a nice career I mean he he had a lot of songs out but nothing was like what Run DMC was doing because they captured the young energy at the time. That was the first big hip hop tour. It grossed 3.5 million dollars which with inflation today would be on par with any super tour today. I saw this show at the Old Spectrum in Philadelphia, and it was the first time you had kids from all over the city that love hip-hop in one place. 
And man, my vivid memories were the fights. The fights were just epic. I mean, you can't put North Philly and South Philly kids together in the 80s. It's like a different planet. I remember my granddad had bought me the tickets and me and my high school friend Logan went to the show. It was amazing. But it was all fueled by Run DMC. They were the class of hip hop, the top dogs. The following year, there was no sophomore jinx. I kind of liked this too about hip hop back then because every year it was like on point when an artist would come with a new album. Because again, you didn't have a lot of videos, you didn't have the internet, so you weren't able to kind of stay connected to them. So you just waited for the album to come out. And when the album would come out, you would go cop it. Their second album, The King of Rock, continued their domination. And they really took things to the next level. The lead single was the title of the album. Then it was Talk Too Much. But a personal favorite off of the album was Daryl and Joe. And this is a song I need you to like search right now and listen to. Just DMC again and Run going back and forth. I mean, listen to this line from Run. I'm the rapper of the year and this the year of the rap. I'm never drinking beer. It's champagne on the tap. And I'm cold making money on a regular basis. Pulling out, knocking sucker MC faces. Travel around the world with my mind at ease. No Calvin Klein's just wearing leaves. Got credit in countries I've never been because the records I write are in the top 10. What? Then it was like you talk too much. Then there was Together Forever. A live performance from Hollis Park in the summer of 1984. Run and DMC were really great MCs. So many memorable lines on this song as they go back and forth. Again, the chemistry. You got to download their music and listen to Run DMC. Any aspiring artist or anybody that loves good music, you just got to listen to these guys. They were way ahead of their time. Check out this lyric from Together Forever. So here's DMC. I'm chillin', he's coolin', I'm a king that's rulin'. Preach and teach and always schoolin'. Then run comes in. See, we're learning and earning. The tables keep turning. To be like us, you could cold be yearning. Pulsating, dominating, up above. Cold chillin' and I'm willin' cause the names run love. Then D comes back. Creating, devastating, and the place to be Full of soul and my control Cause it's easy to D Wow I'm telling you man Run DMC was just an amazing group Coming up you'll hear my first interview with Run DMC Right before the release of their comeback album Down with the King Then a little bit later in the Backstory Podcast You'll hear a very candid moment With Run DMC and Dougie Fresh in 1995 talking about the state of hip-hop and their role in the genre as veterans. And then sadly, tragedy strikes the group, and Run enters into a new venture that opens up the group to a whole new audience. I was in high school during the beginnings of Run DMC. My 10th grade year was Run DMC album. My 11th grade year was King of Rock. And in my senior year in high school, they released their third and considered their best album, the classic Raising Hell which will forever change their careers and in the future create a legion of entrepreneurs. Their affiliation with Adidas over their career to this point was basically an unpaid endorsement deal. Over the years, especially in the beginning times, most hip-hop artists would shout out brands with no economic incentive to them. They just shouted out the stuff that they bought. Run DMC were influencers and their love for Adidas and frankly endorsement of the brand had to impact Adidas sales. Adidas knew exactly how many units they were moving through inner city of America, and it was directly related to Run DMC. My first pair of Adidas were the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's. 
my older brother worked at a sporting goods store in Grand Central Station, and he had a discount, and he would always bring me home some cool sneakers. I was the first kid in my school to rock a pair of Adidas, so I was on it early. And Adidas were special sneaks, but as Run DMC grew as a group, Everybody was wearing Adidas. The first single from Raising Hell was an ode to their sneakers, their favorite brand, my Adidas. So here's a little backstory on one of the first major hip-hop endorsement deals. Def Jam exec and industry legend Lior Cohen had a brilliant idea. When the highly successful Raising Hell tour hit Madison Square Garden in New York City in July of 1986, Lior invited Adidas executive Angelo Anastasio to the show. At one point... Run DMC was on stage, they were performing, and they asked everybody in the audience to put their Adidas sneaker in the air. Not only did everyone put their sneaker in the air, but everyone had on a pair of Adidas. Angelo was so impressed that days later, Run DMC signed a million-dollar endorsement deal and had their own sneaker line and gear line created through Adidas. This was the first hip-hop endorsement deal. Today, this is common for an artist to align themselves with a brand and get paid for it. But back then, it was monumental. Adidas reaped tremendous profits off the love they were receiving from Run DMC and paid the group back through this deal. And the deal was a major success. And so was Raising Hell, the album. One of the first big songs was Peter Piper. It was an instant classic. It was so brilliant, yet so simple. Once again, an ode to DJ Jam Master J. Here are the ingredients of a song. A nursery rhyme. Peter Piper. We all learned that as a kid, and if you don't know it, you should Google it, right? Then add a little weeble wobble. Now, one thing is different now than it is when in the 70s and the 60s, 70s, and 80s is that the marketing for toys, um, kids, we didn't have a lot of um, options for television. So usually you would watch cartoons after school. We didn't have cable. And then there were just certain cartoons that you would watch on after school and watch on Saturday mornings. And Weeble Wobble was a toy that was a very popular toy in the 70s and 80s. And the commercial was sort of a jingle, Weeble Wobble and they don't fall down. So run DMC and Jam Master J. They have their... Peter Piper nursery rhyme. You add in a little weeble wobble. Then a jazz record, Bob James, Take Me to Mardi Gras. Again, you should Google that and listen to that song. And they mashed all that up. And what resulted was a hip hop classic. To this day, you can play at any party, regardless of the age, and folks will go crazy. The chemistry between Run and D on this song was another level. The metaphors, just the energy of the song. And on the mix, real quick, I like to say he's not Flash, but he's fast and his name is Jay. And I want y'all to think about this for a minute, right? Grandmaster Flash at that time was probably the premier DJ and it was Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. And it was sort of like the MCs were second to Grandmaster Flash. Run DMC was building up Jay. Even though it was Run DMC and Jam Master Jay, they used these songs to build them up. And that was not, I don't want to say that was a dig at Flash. It wasn't a dig. It was just saying there's not only Grandmaster Flash, but there's a guy named Jam Master Jay. And probably the biggest song that changed the direction of both Run DMC but also changed the direction of Aerosmith was Walk This Way. Aerosmith was an iconic rock group, and the video and the culmination of Walk This Way with Run DMC 
changed both of their careers. But let me just give you a little backstory on Walk This Way. So I'm going to take you back to 1974, December. Aerosmith, while on tour in Hawaii, were having a sound check, and guitarist Joe Perry was playing around with some riffs on his guitar. Everybody listening loved the riff. This would eventually become the riff on Walk This Way. But they didn't have a title for it, and then the drummer in this soundtrack kind of applied a beat to it. So they kind of sat on this collabo. So fast forward to 1975, the group was recording Toys in the Attic in New York City, and they were kind of in a creative rut. They had this riff and this beat, and Steve Tyler liked it, but there wasn't no title or lyrics. So they took a break from the studio, and the band went to go to the movies to see Mel Brooks' classic comedy, Young Frankenstein. There was this scene where an interesting-looking actor named Marty Feldman was telling Gene Wilder to follow him in the film down the stairs, and he turns to him and says, walk this way with a limp. By the way, I love that movie. And evidently, so did the guys from Aerosmith because it inspired Steven Tyler and he wrote the lyrics and the name of the song was now Walk This Way. Now, fast forward to 1986, Aerosmith was cold. They had had several down years. And so when Run DMC, one of the hottest groups in America in any genre, decided to remake Walk This Way with Aerosmith in the video, it was a pivotal pop culture moment in America for the rock and the rap audience. So early in the podcast, I was telling you how Run DMC kind of flirted with rock on Rockbox and the King of Rock. But Walk This Way made the group larger than life to a multicultural audience and helped grow the hip hop genre around the world. Raising Hell on the heels of Peter Piper, My Adidas and Walk This Way went on to sell three million copies. Two years later, the group on top of the world with big albums under their belts with a sneaker deal and gear deal with Adidas released Tougher Than Leather. And they put out a movie with the same name. Oh, man, that movie was awful. <laughs> yes, just an awful movie, especially after they did Crush Groove in 85, which is considered sort of like a hip hop classic movie. This Tougher Than Leather album, though, Run's House was the lead single. At every show up until that point in Run's career, this was a major interaction that Run had with the audience. He would always yell in every city, whose house? And I love this video. Again, in those days, you look forward to seeing the videos. We didn't have social media. We didn't have ways for artists. So we, the videos were special and we didn't have a place to watch videos other than television. So you had to kind of make appointment viewing on TV or MTV or the box. Video music you control. I love this video because it was Run DMC staying close to their roots. They were superstars, but in this video, and you should go to YouTube and see this video, they're walking down 125th Street with little or no security amongst the people. Remember, again, superstars at the time. Not just hood superstars, but world superstars. They also walked through Times Square in the same way. They were riding over the Queensboro Bridge, greeting fans in the streets. This was all raw, organic filming of this video. Even the police who were outmanned gave them love in the video. This is just an awesome video, a must-watch. I, I just love the, the iconic Apollo Theater had Run DMC's name on it as they walked through the streets of Harlem. Run was not a bashful MC. He let everyone know he was the best and he was in charge. He was the alpha personality in the group. DMC was laid back but lethal. And I'll take you to another group and just give you an example. In N.W.A., Cube was like Run, and MC Ren, who was amazing, was like DMC. 
or let's go to Outkast. Big Boy was like Run, and Andre was like DMC. I could go on and on comparing to other groups. Again, these guys were just so amazing, so much presence, so much energy. Wherever they went, the people came with them. Now, my personal favorite off of this album was Beats to the Rhyme. It was like Peter Piper's younger cousin. Another salute to Jam Master J. And I got to say, man, you know, God rest his soul. Jam Master J was tragically murdered in 2002. And and, um, it's always tough to think about that. But he has such a powerful impact on this group, which is probably why we don't see a lot more Run DMC. He was really the glue of this group. But again, each album, he would outdo himself on these songs. The, The rhythm that they had, man, is just unlike any other group. I was just starting my radio career when they released Raising Hell. I mean, literally an intern. While they were on tour the following year in 87, they came to the radio station I was working at. I'll never forget this. It was a Sunday when their tour was in town and they needed to film a segment for MTV. Again, these guys were larger than life. MTV didn't play a lot of black artists, but they was playing Run DMC, which along with Michael Jackson kind of broke the wall down, the segregation wall at MTV. This was my first time meeting them. What I remember most from that day was meeting Jam Master J. I was not a major person at the station. I was an intern. Or actually, no, I was just a board op at that moment. I had gotten a job, so I wasn't an intern anymore. I was making minimum wage, just trying to just figure out this cool world of radio that I was working in. And I was the youngest person in the radio station. I just remember Jam Master J making eye contact. He was just so cool. I was just in awe of meeting these guys. And he asked me a bunch of questions. He never forgot my name. Uh, years later, I would have several more interactions with him and the group as he then became a music executive on the side. And I'll give you more details on that in a few minutes. Run DMC's career basically peaked on Raising Hell. And even though Tougher Than Lever went platinum and they had a movie to go along with it, it was considered a disappointment. Now that I've kind of been in the business for a long time and literally seen hip hop from the beginning to where we are now, I totally can understand what happened to them. Hip hop music was changing quickly and spreading to other parts of the country while Run DMC basically were the same group and they were just getting older with the same formula. There were so many kids coming out with music, which you can kind of say historically has happened and is happening even more now as kids can just create a song, put it on the internet, and you can be a star making $50,000 a show literally in 30 days. But in that time, as the late 80s arrived and the early 90s came, I mean, hip-hop was on steroids. And the one thing that is constant about the hip-hop industry is it is hard to stay on top when there are a million little groups of kids all over the world coming out with music. It's just impossible. So Run DMC released another album in 1990 called Back From Hell, which was their worst album. I remember my coworker at the time, Stanley T, um, and kudos to him because I... I'm thinking about it right now as I'm about to tell you this. I don't even know how he was able to pull this off, but he did. Stanley T wanted to be a TV star, and he had this idea for a TV show. With any TV show, you have to film a pilot. So I don't remember the name, and Stanley, you're going to kill me because I don't remember the name of the show. It was something on the block or something. Uh, I can't remember what uh, Stanley T's house party. I think that's what it was called. Eventually, he would actually get his own show, but he needed to do a pilot. And the pilot episode we filmed in Brooklyn and Run DMC was the musical guest. I remember speaking with Run about the new album, Back From Hell. They were so concerned about the project and sadly it just didn't connect to where they thought it would be. But that's okay because 
it gets better for Run DMC. Again, the music was changing and the pendulum was swinging west with the success of Easy E, NWA, and then it was, you know, starting to go to the south. I mean, hip hop was just really exploding. And Run DMC, to their credit, were were the Dons. So again, I told you that I had developed this relationship with Jam Master J. We were cool, and he was in Run DMC, but he also was a music executive. He had such an eye for talent, and he discovered a group called Onyx. And I remember him telling me about it and then personally walked them around the country to all the radio stations because Jam Master J had great relationships. So he would bring Onyx with him and say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm Jam Master J, Run DMC and all that, but this is my group Onyx. He was really a brilliant record guy too. Onyx was Wu-Tang before Wu-Tang, <laughs> if that makes any sense. A lot of rough energy, but these brothers were really talented. Many would go on to acting careers. And in 1992, they came on the scene with Throw Your Guns, which was a very controversial song at the time. And Jam Master J, to his credit, knew that. But he was their leader, and he really like helped the group and, and kind of pushed the group along. And again, they were this new, young energy at that time. And Throw Your Guns was like the kind of song at any party in the early 90s, if you threw that on, people would go nuts. Once again, Jay showed me a lot of love and respect. Just like the first time I met him. A few years later, he would bring me a young, talented rapper who had a lot of legal troubles. You may know him now. His name is 50 Cent. So let's fast forward to 1993. The first real Run DMC comeback. But it felt really good for them because, and I'm sure, I don't know this for a fact. I just feel like I know that they felt appreciated because all of the young hip-hop artists showed them a lot of love on this project. Because again... They were the Dons. They kicked down the doors. They had the gold and platinum albums before anybody else did. They had this project, Down With The King. Pete Rock at the time was a hot producer artist along with his MC, CL Smooth. And they did the lead single, which was the title track of the album, Down With The King. This is another must video that you got to watch. If you've never seen the Down With The King video, it's really cool. It's sort of like a time capsule of hip hop in 1993. At the time, Run DMC was on tour with Naughty By Nature. They were opening up for Naughty By Nature. And Naughty was huge. Just to give you an idea of what was happening in hip hop at that time. In this video, you had Naughty By Nature. You had an Afro wearing Easy e You had Red Man, A Tribe Called Quest, Criss Cross, KRS-One. It was a who's who in hip hop at that time showing love to the Kings, Run DMC. They were down with the Kings. So... This was my first ever Run DMC interview. In this interview, they talk about their place in hip-hop at that time, their struggles, where they had been. And they were a little old school, too. But that was kind of cool how they presented themselves. Like, Jam Master J would always talk about dat machines because everybody would use dat machines. And he talked about doing his show and not doing his show from a dat machine, doing his show from the turntables. On this project, they all shave their heads and they talk about the reasoning behind that. They also talk about the love they received from other artists and how this project had all the current artists and hot producers behind it. As a hip hop fan, as a Run DMC fan, I can speak for everybody, man. We all wanted them to win. And this project was right on time. Man, I was so nervous with this interview. I mean, think about it. This was my childhood right here. I love these guys. And I had met them over the years, but I never interviewed them before. And I had been on the radio for several years at this point. And here I am in the studio at Run DMC. They were really the reasons why I was on the radio. I had their posters on the wall, and now I'm in the studio with them. So this is from April of 1993. This is a few weeks before the release of the Down With The King album. But, Rob, 
You know what I'm hype, cause my boys is in the house. Straight up. Ladies and gentlemen, the legends of hip hop, what's up? Run DMC. Yo, what's up? What's up? What's Straight going up. on? Go by the name of Jam Master J in the place. I like to say what's up to Philly Word. DJ R-U-N, my friend. What's going on? DMC in the house, y'all. I'm uh, in the house, y'all. Word up. Oh right, yeah, run DMC back on the scene. Now where you brothers been for the last couple years? Y'all y'all had y'all had an album out a couple years ago and now y'all coming back hard. What you been what you been doing? Well, for the past couple of years, you know, we've been like on the road. We was doing a, this club t- tour on the down low, mm-hmm. you know, refining our stage show and all that, working on some new routines. And then when we came home off the tour, we went to work on a new album. Okay. And it took us a while because we incorporated the production of a lot of producers, you know what I'm saying? All our homies from up the way, you know, Naughty by Nature, Q-Tip, Hank Shockley and the Bomb Squad, Jermaine Dupree, Specialist, Mad Cobra, EP. BMD. So the album got crazy flavor. It took us a while to put it together, but it's slamming. Okay, what's the name of the brand new album? The name of the brand new album is Down With The King. You wanna be? Okay. So how you guys feel about the hip-hop scene right now? How does it feel coming back in it and kicking it? It feels good that we, you know, we came out and we got a hit record, but I'm, I like a lot of the new rappers that's out there. I'm down with Boss and Red Man and a whole bunch of people. Onyx! You know what I'm saying? I like the gritty and grind. Niggity, niggity, nasty. I like the youngsters. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, okay. The brand new video out for Down, Down with the King has like a whole array of hip-hop stars on it. How, how was it like making that video and bringing everybody together like that? Well... We, we called up a couple of the record companies and told, you know, if y'all want to come down, check it out. But we didn't know that many people was going to show up. Really? You saw that video? Yeah, yeah. Word up. It was mad. I mean, it was, I mean, even Easy e in that joint with an afro. Word up. <laughs> You know, but it was it was mad fun, mad fun making that vid. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Most people came down from word of mouth, like, yo, we making our video. Mm-hmm. It's like, yo, come support. And everybody, right. you know, like, because we, like, been down with this hip-hop game for a long time, Real you know? Time. And people were just showing us love. Okay. And, and the best thing about it is everybody was respecting you, you know, because... You know, a lot of these new Jack rappers come on and don't respect the old school rappers, and you got mad respect in this video, which is what you know, which is what is important. Word up, word now, up. Now, I also heard um, a couple months ago y'all was down at the Gavin Convention in um, San Francisco, and y'all rock straight old school for for everybody, and they kind of dug that. Yeah. I was like From doing old that. Old school all the way up to new. We dropped the new one at the end and blew their mind with Down with the King, but we were dropping stuff like Together Forever, coming out doing Here We Go, Jay was on the turntables killing, that's what the real problem was for the rest of the rappers that were there, Jay was killing the turntables crazy, and we were dropping beat after beat. You cutting it up, Jay? Yeah, because we don't use that dat, we don't talk about that. Are you you still kicking the turntable action? Yeah, we stay away from that. Okay. Don't say that. Use that, you get this. Either (laughs) this or that. Don't say that to me. It's good to see you brothers back, man, because ever since I was like, when I was coming up a young buck, man, I was always in the Run DMC, and you guys always had the mad flavor. And uh, most of these people that's out here now sort of like taking your, you know, take a little bit of your style. And a lot of people don't even give y'all props, because y'all brothers is definitely hard coming back straight up for 93. I wanted to ask you guys, you all guys shaved all your hair off now, and y'all, y'all got the bald head look just like, just like the Onyx brothers. What was up with that? What's the concept behind that? Why'd you decide to do that? Well, it's just how we felt right now. We're in a gang of people. My posse always had bald heads, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Afros. Uh, just what, my, what happened? my, my What's neighborhood. What's up with the Afros, too? What's happening with them? Well, Hurricane just put something out, and Cool T putting something out now. Cool T produced a couple of tracks on the Onyx album. Okay. He producing his own album, and he's putting something out okay. on JMJ. I got to congratulate you on the Onyx project, too, because that's a fat, fat project. Throw yes. Your Guns is, like, blowing up crazy. Thanks and the album's kind of mad fat. Word up. Y'all look out for that slam video. It should be out, you know what I'm saying? 
Any okay. day now. All right. You guys uh, want to give some shouts out to anybody? I know y'all back in Philly. I, I like to give a shout out to Tretch and, and, and that whole Oriental posse I'm rolling with. Word up. Okay. I cracked myself up listening to this interview, especially the lingo I was using during that time. Again, this was my first Run DMC interview, and the Down With The King album was a success. It went gold. I mean, it wasn't a multi-platinum album, but for the moment, it was just a great time in hip-hop, and it was a great comeback from them. So let's fast forward a few more years to 1995. Run DMC and Dougie Fresh um, were doing a show in Philadelphia in December of 1995. At that time, both of these artists were vets of the game. They had both been around for 13, 14 years. This was the beginning of, and you'll hear it in this interview, of Rev Run. Run will explain the transition in his life. All of them will talk about being vets in the game and their current place. Uh, Run talks about the new project coming out, and he says, if it ain't tight, it ain't right. Um, and he was referring to future music that they were going to release. And in this interview, we will talk about current day rappers. You could kind of say the same thing today. Like, if you talk to a 2000-era rapper, what would he say about the artists that come out today and the way the music is? It's all the same, guys. Like, the one thing I've learned just kind of being around for as long as I've been around, it's like, it's literally the same story over and over again with generations. Everyone thinks that this generation doesn't make any sense and the previous generation was greater. It's just things change. And you'll hear kind of this conversation, but they never threw shade at any artist. They kind of like appreciated the music and appreciated that they were still around. We discussed the community. I think this is one of the I'm, I'm very passionate about the community and about things that were happening in the community, just like I am today. But I started to, in my conversations with artists, I started to bring that energy out because I wanted them to talk about things in the community because Chuck D said it the best. Hip hop is the CNN for the hood. If I could transcribe this interview and apply it to rappers from 10 years ago talking about rappers today, I guarantee you it will be the same. This is a fascinating conversation with some legends. So this is December 2nd, 1995. Run DMC, Jam Master J. Dougie Fresh and shout out to my man Philly legend Charlie Mack who was in the room who jumped in on this conversation check it out yo what's up man yo, Kobe Cove in the house we came to check you out okay now first of all Run DMC what's been going on with the group since the last album you know what I mean you got something new coming out and when is it coming and what's it gonna be all about well Run DMC right now we're in the lab and we're putting together the new album we don't have a title yet but put it like this we're gonna have a single by summertime we're gonna have an album by summertime and if y'all thought down with the king was all at this next album is gonna take rap as a whole the whole industry i mean it's going to take it to the next level because in the 80s you know we we thank god he allowed us to open a lot of doors and we're thankful to be here you know what i'm saying rolling around town with the greatest entertainer dougie fresh who has inspired me because he used i used to buy his tapes and study his tapes and i used to worship doug and i'm just thankful that he's here and we're here together and if you listen to doug's music and that's what's going on that's how run dmc is going to take it we're going to keep rap real because it's all about the performance and the energy the djs chill will and barry b jam Master J, you know what I'm saying? Not using no dats. We do what we do from the heart. So what Dougie presented to y'all with that album, Run DMC is following in on them steps. We're going to keep it raw. Okay. Now, who are some of the, the producers that's going to be working on this album? 
Um, on the next album, it's going to be about maybe two or three outside producers. But Run DMC, we're going to do a lot of material ourselves. Because we're going to bring it back to the Raising Hell. Remember the Raising Hell album? That was like our favorite album with all the hits, Mind Dieters and everything. We got to bring back a rap album like that. You know, we're tired of just one hit wonders. We got to bring a complete whole rap hip-hop nonstop. Jammy to the world. And good good looking out to your record company who re-released all of your 12-inch singles to all the hip-hop DJs. Word up. That was right on time. Right on time. Now, Run, you got a new name, Reverend Run. You got a yes, record me. company. Tell yes, everybody what's going Rev, on, Rev Run Records. You know what I'm saying? If you say Rev Run real fast, what you get? You get Rev Run. <laughs> all right? So I'm the Reverend Run, and my man DMC is Deacon DMC from the church. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's what I do now. I'm a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I come to boldly proclaim his name. And um, this is what I do. This is what God called me to be doing in this season. You know, I don't want to be the guy that's out there in the winter with a pair of shorts or in the summer with a mink coat. You know what I'm saying? So I had to find out what I was supposed to be doing in this season and time of my life. And God showed me what I was supposed to be doing, so I'm doing it. Okay. And I'm going to take it to the max. Because I'm not one that you would call a, a, a pathfinder. Mm -hmm. But I'm a trailblazer. So I'm somebody that has to go out there with the weeds and the snakes and, and make a new path for everybody to come and be in the midst of. So this is what I'm doing right now. God has called me into righteousness, and I, and I love the Lord. Okay. Now, I have all three of you brothers here. We have a lot of problems in our communities with guns and drugs. What are some of the things that you brothers are doing to, to uh, you know, make our young people aware of these problems and doing something about it. Well, that's exactly what I mean about being a minister. What I have to do is I have to minister to, to these kids. But, you know, there's a way you can do it that they won't, they won't you know, think you're weak. You know what I'm saying? Like right now, I'm in the video with um, Jodeci and um, right, TLC. Reverend. I'm the you're Reverend in there. And um, I, there's, a, there's a way you can do it. Like with the record Down With The King... There's a way that you can get the music and bring it through without people even knowing that you're ministering unto them. So you got the Bible says be a wise witness. So I'm coming through with this, but I'm sneaking on the people. And, I, and I'll let y'all know I sneak it on you, and you won't even know it because the beats are going to be so funky and the rhymes are going to be so dope. It's going to be like down with the king for years of about ten of them. So, you know, I, I come with the flavor. I'm not going to just come and throw it out there at people where they be like, oh, man, this is corny, you know, get a 12-year-old kid saying this, keep it, this is boring, you know what I'm saying? But I'm going to come with the flavor where it goes goom ga doom ga doom ga doom for king you know what I'm saying it, it, got, it got to drop right it got to feel right and not just to a place where I'm just saying that I'm going to put out records that are going to be able to minister to people and then it's going to come out it's going to be corny it ain't going to be corny it got to be right and if it ain't right it ain't tight I ain't putting it out and that's coming from the Reverend's mouth okay and I, and I want to say that to you brothers I had a chance to check out the show the movie and when I saw that part, when they focused on you guys, it brought back so many memories of what hip-hop used to be like. Hip-hop is so different now. What do you think about the whole hip-hop nation and what's going on right now with the artists out here? Well, you know, I just say that as long as you got Run DMC and Dougie Fresh going around doing the thing that they're doing, that aspect of hip-hop will never die. That's like the strongest aspect. You know what I'm saying? What we do is what was formed before... Um, I would say rap even got on the wax. You know what I'm saying? That's why Run DMC is still here. Dougie Fresh is still here. A lot of groups that come, you know, they have one hit, but they don't have a stage show. They don't have a presence. Even with the question that you had asked, we like to um, 
give a positive image to the kids by the lifestyle that we lead. They look at us and they see all the money, the fortune, and the fame, but we try to show them we gained this through hard work and a positive attitude. We didn't gain this by doing negative things, you know what I'm saying? All that stuff with drugs and guns and violence, it's either a jail cell or a coffin, you know what I'm saying, for you to rest your head in. Run DMC, Dougie Fresh, we live this. We are hip-hop, you know what I'm saying? And um, basically, the rap industry, the only thing that really changed about the rap industry now is that there's more groups and just at this time it seems that the negative stuff that the people are rapping about is getting all the attention now and I'm not saying that it's bad for these rappers to be rapping that because of the majority of the rappers are just rapping what they see outside their doorsteps but it's bad when the rapper, the whole rap industry as a whole has to take the heat for it you know what I'm saying it's, it's not our it's our job to be a positive role model you know what I'm saying and it's our job to spread a positive message but it's the job of the politicians and the lawmakers to stop these things that the the kids are rapping about, to stop the things that they're doing. When we rap about them, right, the communities, they got to find somebody to come down on because they're not doing their jobs, and they come down on the rappers, but I just like the fact that when I hear Dougie Fresh tape, I know where that's coming from. Exactly. I know that I know that if they stop letting us make records and if they stop making movies about it, it's still going to be a place for me to go see Dougie Fresh or Run right. DMC exactly. or the Cold Crush Brothers or groups like that perform. You know what I'm saying? A lot of it is glamour and glitz, but we're just, you know, making these records and we're going to be here regardless of the fact. Okay, the third member of Run DMC just walked in, Jam Master J. What Cole, up, Cole, Cole, what's up, Cole? What's going on, man? It's all good, man. Everything's still rolling with the label? Word up, word up. Okay. Run DMC about to do their thing next year, straight up on a new one. Got Onyx with that last days out exactly, right now, exactly. you know. All we got is us, straight up. I got this female named Sugar. She right. doing her thing. Formerly yeah. uh, Sweet Tea. No doubt. Okay. No diggy. So you still putting your thing down on the production? And, oh, no uh, diggy, no diggy. We're going to keep it real. We got, we got a whole... Clinic coming out. Word out. All right, it's all good. Dougie Fresh, the yeah. brand new album out. Tell everybody the title. Name of the album is called Play. Um, the reason why the name of the album is called Play is because we feel that one of the things in rap that that got lost is play. People don't like to have fun no more. People got too serious. Mm-hmm. They started becoming too uh, too too like thoughtful of things in the, from the perspective of it's like you know so so much anger. You know, and, and rap at one time had that element, but it also had fun. So, you know, we wanted to bring the play, bring the fun back into it, keep the party going. Because no matter where you at, no matter where you go, there's always going to be a party. And a party got to be set. Right. Is that why you made Where's the Party? To, to bring back that old school? Yeah, how yeah. Be? I brought back that because I wanted to put a couple of new chants on it and also keep that old school flavor and hit people with some tracks that make them, you know... Just rekindle that whole vibe of when you was at a party, you wasn't standing on the wall. Dougie Fresh is the party. He's a walking party <laughs> everywhere hey, he hey, goes. Hey, yo, y'all don't understand how much. Hey, yo. I, I hey, was yo. just telling you earlier, um, this summer you did a show, Greek Picnic, at the Red Zone. And it must have been about 150 degrees in that room, man. And you just came out there and ripped it, man. Thanks, it didn't matter, did it? Nothing could stop you, man. You just nah. kept on rolling. Because, you know, the vibes with the people, man, is that I'm, I'm a people person. I'm the type of guy that you might see me in a limo. You might see me on the train. You might see me walking down the street. You might see me no matter where, you know. And, and at any given moment, I could be at the party. And I know that me as, like, a person I like to be at a party, I know that I like to get it going. Right, you know what right. I mean? I mean, I don't have to get high to get it going. I just be like getting there, bouncing. I just got some natural 
party juice going on or something, right, right, you know. Exactly. So the album is the album is a lot of fun. I got Miss Jones on it, who also just she's about to get a new deal now. We're trying to decide which label she gonna move with. Well, how do you feel about being on the label that you're on now? Because you've been you shifted around a couple. Oh yeah, labels. I've been shifting all the time. Yeah, you've been running through this industry, man. I think that. I've been like on <laughs> seven labels, you know. <laughs> I think I have to been seven labels to complete. So do you feel more secure now where you at? Nah, nah, I don't feel secure here either. Okay, <laughs> I ain't even lie. I can't even front. Okay. But you know, the thing is, is like this. This is the way I look at it, and this is the best analogy. It's like you can have keys on a ring, and then you got a lock there. And you keep sticking each key in there and figure out which one is going to turn the lock. Right. Now, I've been going through these rings for a little while. Yeah, I'm down to my yeah, last two keys. Yeah, yeah. So I'm about to find out what happened. Right, you see right, what I'm saying? Right. So it's cool whichever way, but as long as the people can still hear me, the voice is still out there, the videos are still being seen, the presence is still being felt, then it's all a blessing, regardless you know, of whether I like it. 20 more keys. In your hey, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's one thing to say that, that, you know, that, you, that you got this project out, but you've been around for a long time, and your first two albums, were very successful yeah, and that's sort of like what started hip-hop out so people can always reach back and listen we were you know just talking about all the way to heaven and i mean i remember the joint you did with the uh music from phantasm yeah, and they played all played it at night, night. Yeah. there's all kind of songs that you had out and that's 10 years ago you know right, what i'm saying right. and you can still rock today i mean we still play the show like it came out yesterday on this radio yeah, station yeah. so so you know you're, you're still representing and it's yeah, good thanks, to see man. all you old school <laughs> brothers that started this thing out that's still doing it because a lot of the artists that did start when you did and started before you guys did or not performing anymore. They, they're out of the game. They got pushed out of the game. Yeah. So it's good to see that you brothers are still here, still representing, still doing shows and still bringing in the folks because, you know, a lot of people are scared of rap music. But you guys were there when it when it first started and people that was like 20, 25 when y'all first came out is like 40 now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know what I'm saying? We go to a show. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Because yeah. today... Spoonie G had one record was 15 minutes long. Some people's shows ain't Exactly, exactly. Right. Like Run right. was talking about the dats and how, you know, a lot of artists, you know, they make all this money and they come out and do 15, 10 minutes. I remember that day at, at the Red Zone, you wasn't even getting paid for that show. You was just there and you ripped it for like 45 minutes, man. So, yeah, thanks, so man. definitely good looking well, out. It's, 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 I got to give it to the real masters of the game, man, like DJ Hollywood, Love Bug, Cold Crush, Furious mm -hmm. Five. I mean, all of these groups kind of like inspired me because I used to stay. There used to be a place called Harlem World. And we used to be there, and I used to be in there watching these groups. I used to I used to sleep in there sometimes, uh -huh. just sitting there and uh -huh. studying these people because to me, the they was like incredible, you know right, what I mean? Right, and they was right. like the beginning of a whole nother of a whole nother this, of a whole yeah, nother this. form of a conversation. Right. So right. you know, I just feel good that I can make a contribution, and that's why I spread it out now because it's like you know. We 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 see that rap is took in its own little its own little like version. You got the West Coast sound, you got this Atlanta thing, you got New York. But it's so fly to see that it all came just from yep. you know these brothers who started it. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I gotta always. That's why on this new album, I put them on there and I said the original old school because I don't mind people putting me in and saying I'm the old school, but I gotta be real. The original old school, I used to be in there watching like right, this. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? So that's the blueprint. Okay. I told you, this was good hip-hop talk with some legends, Run DMC and Dougie Fresh. You can go to any era of hip-hop, and the older, more established artists will be saying the same thing. Think about Outkast right now talking about the ATL hip-hop scene. 
Atlanta has been the epicenter of hip-hop for almost the last 15 years, and it doesn't seem to slow down. A lot of that was started by OutKast. The music now is much different than the music OutKast put out 20 years ago. Now, on the other side, Drake is a good example of an artist who hasn't fallen into this category, probably because he makes a point of finding that next talent that's about to blow and doing a verse with them. It keeps him relevant and welcomes the newer artist. Drake has been around for 11 years. So now let's get back to Run DMC. Even though in this interview I just played from 1995, they discussed coming out with new music, that following summer they went through a rough patch. Run was newly remarried and becoming more of a family man and started focusing on being a reverend. DMC also became a family man as well. As always, since it started, hip-hop was rapidly changing during this period. The group toured all over the world, but there was a rift growing between Run and DMC. The rap-rock mashup that they started exploded during this period. They, meaning Run DMC, were the gods to the rockers, and they inspired a lot of new mashups, and other artists did mashups and remixes of Run DMC's music. Groups like Limp Bizkit, Kid Rock, and Korn had tremendous success mixing rap and rock. Six years after this last interview I just played in 1995, remember they were talking about releasing music in the summer of 96, they finally released that new music, and it was the final album on a new label, Arista Records, and the album was called Crown Royal, and it came out in 2001. It featured production and guest appearances from many of the artists and producers that were popular at that time. Jermaine Dupri did several tracks. Fred Durst from Limp Bizkit did a few. Everlast, a.k.a. Mr. House of Pain, he was... Uh, the group House of Pain, Jump Around. Uh, then he changed his name to Everlast, but he did some tracks. Fat Joe, Nas, Prodigy, all were on this album. And during that time, Run was known as Reverend Run. And there was a big song by R&B group Jagged Edge. And Run did the remix and rapped on the remix. And in the video, which you should look up on YouTube, played the Reverend marrying the young couple in the video. It was a huge hit and it kept him relevant on the mainstream side. Then Run DMC went on a world tour with Aerosmith, whom they helped resurrect back in 1986 with Walk This Way. From that point on, Aerosmith went on to sell millions of albums and toured the world several times over on the strength of Run DMC and Walk This Way. VH1 did a behind the music on Run DMC, which I highly recommend that you watch. Now, Jam Master J was in his executive mode, continuing to work with Onyx, and discovering 50 Cent, who was originally on Jay's JMJ label. I remember him bringing 50 Cent down to do an interview on my show. At that time, 50 had some legal trouble, and it was causing a lot of problems in the Queens drug world. I I just can recall them having to get approval to bring him down to Philly because it was just so many legal wranglings that they had to go through. And JMSJ gave me a cassette of 50's first album, which was never released. I still can't find that tape. I looked all through my arsenal and I couldn't find it. I'm sure it's somewhere in my lab. Now, 50 Cent eventually left JMJ to go sign with the Trackmasters, who were really hot at that time. And they released a song called How to Rob in 1999, which caused all kinds of problems because 50 Cent bragged about robbing rappers. However, this song put him on the map. And he was starting to be an in-demand, up-and-coming artist. Six months later, he was ambushed outside his grandparents' house and left for dead. Now, he was no longer associated with Jam Master Jay, but sadly, Jay would meet a similar fate. A year after their last album and their last world tour with Aerosmith, Jay was murdered in his recording studio in Queens. 
There's a lot of speculation that Jay was set up by someone he knew that was allowed to enter his studio. And no one has ever been convicted of the murder. That was a really dark period for the group. They basically just stopped recording and stopped touring at that point. It was kind of hard for Run DMC to move forward without Jam Master Jay. And I hadn't spoken with them in years. So let's fast forward to 2005. Run and Russell were in town, and they wanted to come by my show. I had not talked to them in years, and Russell was still in executive mode, and he had Fat Farm and all the other things that uh, they were doing as a family. Him and Run were partnering on a sneaker deal that they had, and they were in town. And this was a very interesting and retrospective interview. Russell was trying to do a movie on Bernard Hopkins, so that he was down there, and Bernard was with them. And I actually have a connection to Bernard. I've known Bernard for a long time. We actually lived in the same neighborhood in Philadelphia. And, and if you ever remember Friday, I always used to tease Bernard. I said, Bernard, you, you a little bit like Debo. You see Bernard on the side of the street back in the day, you would kind of want to cross the street. Uh, he was a tough guy. He ended up in jail where that probably saved his life and turned his life around as he committed to being a boxer. As my radio career and his boxing career grew, we ended up going to a lot of schools and speaking to kids. Bernard is like very passionate about his story. And when you hear him tell his story, it's phenomenal and it has an impact. Shout out to the legend, Charlie First Out the Limo Mac, who is really a Philly icon. He was Will Smith's bodyguard. He was known to do a celebrity weekend once a year and he would bring all of black Hollywood and the black music world, they would come to Philadelphia for a celebrity basketball game and a bunch of events. One of my favorite events of that weekend every year is taking all of the celebrities to the Youth Study Center in Philadelphia to speak to the incarcerated teenagers. Here's some backstory on Bernard. So Bernard spent a lot of his youth at this facility, the Youth Study Center in Philadelphia. And when he became a successful boxer, He bought a condo in one of the most posh buildings in Philadelphia, which happened to overlook the courtyard of this youth study center prison, which has since moved from that location. Anyway, Bernard got that condo so he could always reflect on where he came from. And every year that he would be able to come to this prison to speak to young people, and even when it wasn't Charlie Max weekend, he would do a lot of stuff at the prison. He would tell that story while pointing up to his condo. It's always very powerful for young people that are lost in in the criminal justice system and think that their lives are over for somebody like that to come in and say, hey, I was right here in this yard and point to that beautiful penthouse above and say, that's where I live at now. Just extremely powerful testimony. So in this interview, you'll hear a little bit about Bernard Hopkins life. But the main part of this interview surrounds Run and him being 40 and what he was working on. And this was the eve of the reality show Run's House. They had just started working on this, which would feature his family and open him up to a whole new audience as his show was poised to replace the very popular Osborne family reality show on MTV. Run and Russ will talk about their business empire and the staggering amount of money they were making at that time. This is October 22nd, 2005. Run, Russell Simmons, and Bernard Hopkins. What up? Thank you. Thank you. Now, now, we talked last week, uh, Russell, and you got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And you're in town today for You know what? I got store. a lot of town of people moving around. Me, you know, so like when you say I got a lot of stuff, it's really all, of, you know, I got Tony Austin here as the president of my music company. Mm-hmm. And he goes to work every day. He made them girls. You heard they joined. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the Rev made his record on his own. I told you he made it in like 10 days. And he brought it to me. 
I get to float. You know what I'm saying? I get to okay. move around. And you get to hang out with, with, with exactly. legendary folks and like Bernard Hopkins in the building. My man here is, a, is rust, such man. a big inspiration, man. It's such a big inspiration, the way he, what he did with his life and how he turned his life around. You know, everybody got to give him all kind of props for that, but they also got to see him as a as a vehicle. You know, you just look at him, you see your way in, you know. Okay. Because he, he represents- self-manages himself? Oh, yeah. Yes. Ten crazy, years. Crazy. And he won the management Manager of the Year yeah. Award. So in other words, he won Don King's award, and he did it for himself. <laughs> wow! <laughs> That's a rough business, you and son. I, I, I hate. I don't want to blow it up, but I know that a lot of boxers have told me their stories, and their stories are not uh, that good. What you made know? you manage yourself and just turn down everybody? Yeah, Bernard. I had a, I had a fight about 11, 13 years ago, and I realized the first, the purse was ten thousand dollars, and I, I received a thousand, and I didn't need a college degree to realize that. <laughs> <laughs> Something ain't right. I mean, your man is supposed to get ninety percent. No, no, no one else had a black eye or bust a lip or even sweating. And you I ain't had a black eye either, <laughs> son. Look at home. I had a little few bruises, and I realized that I got the less of of, of even the cut man, even the, the guy that carried a bucket, to, you know, to give you water in between <laughs> so rounds. That was your first lesson. That was my first major lesson. And then last lesson. And then the last lesson was: it's best to have ownership and best to be independent. And you you learn the business. Uh, uh, in a hand once you get to know how the business is ran. And I and I, and, and no, I paid the price for that, but, you know, it, it, it's rewarding to be educated. I came here t- to be part of the bidding war for his movie. Okay. Because his movie is such an inspiration. I can't wait to see it. have to bid. His credibility speaks for itself. Come on, man. Stop. I, don't I, I, I got to come it. with the Listen, same paper I'm a as anybody in Hollywood. I know it. Of it. And he has plenty of it. But Russell's a sponge. And, I'm, and I, I mean, I'm a sponge. And I'm here mm-hmm. looking at Russell saying that... Uh, you know, I'm trying to enhance everything I do after boxing. Russell, some years ago, I came to Russell and said I was um, going to put together some sneakers. And he said, you must be crazy because we don't sell sneakers. Only Adidas and Nike and Reebok sell sneakers. So he said, OK, you can come in. I'll offer you 50 percent. OK. And when he offered me 50 percent, he thought that, you know, probably nothing was going to happen. And then when it blew up. We did like a hundred million dollars this year. He said, hundred and twenty million. He said, if I had a did crystal you just say ball, hundred and twenty million dollars, hundred twenty million, and I own fifty percent of it. He said, if I had a crystal ball, <laughs> I'd have never. You, Let me finish my story, man. <laughs> he said, if I had a crystal, <laughs> he said, if I had a crystal ball, I'd have never gave you fifty percent. I said, well, I got one. That's why I asked for fifty percent. Wow. So now, I told him that you God talk about, put the sneakers on. You talk about his business uh, interest, your business interest. That's a good. That was a good yeah. move right there. So now um, I opened Run Athletics, which is the maker of Fat Farm, and I'm negotiating to put out an Arthur Ashe shoe. Okay. So that's happening in my reality show that's going to be on MTV. We, we already had a green light over at ABC Family, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden Puffy comes up with this great idea mm-hmm. and says, let's do a reality show. I said, I'm getting ready to sign one tomorrow. Okay. He said, ABC Family is small fries. I want to do it. Right. I said, well, you're going to have to talk to my brother. Cause we, and he said, I'll do it with Russell and, and Stan Lathan, and next thing you know, I'm on MTV, mm-hmm. and we're going to be replacing the Osborne slot. And... um. You'll get to see me raise my family in front of the world. And I wow. think it'll be good. You know, now, how old we don't you? have any. I'm 40 years old also. Now, how old are your kids right now? My um, oldest is 21. She's a Ford model. Wow. I have a 21. I have a 17-year-old who is going to go to FIT to college. And she's trying to follow in her Aunt Kamora's footsteps. Okay. Then I have my son, Daniel, who plays basketball for the team out there inside of River. And when they score 40 points, 38 of it is his. So he's like a wonder kid. So. Okay. 
And then now, who was in the TV commercial with you guys for the sneakers? That was my son that Jojo. Was, okay. And Jojo right. is a um. Oh, you know that was my son because yeah, I said okay. Yeah, it was Uncle. He said Uncle. Uncle Russell. Right. <laughs> so yeah. So it's a big a family well, affair. Call me Uncle Russell. I mean, I ain't. Uh, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, but right, but yeah. but anyway, it's a family you thing. So I live across the. You the Godfather now, Russell. Come on, man. I live around the corner from Russell with my family, and I'm kind of um. I'm the human resources around and try to, you know, be When I got a beef, when Kamara got a beef, I send the Reverend to the crib <laughs> right to try on. to cool the beef out. All right. Basically. All right. But let me say so something about Joe. I got to say, because Steve Barlson just called and said, EA Sports has this big idea for you. Mm-hmm. And I know that this sounds crazy, but I, I mean, I, I'm sitting there with my prayer beats, mm-hmm. you know, and I and in the Yoga Sutras, which is a, a scripture, and I, I think all scriptures are run parallel. They all say the same things mm-hmm. about God and goodness. But there's a fourth chapter in the Yoga Sutras which talks about the power you have when you're in full union with God. Okay. And Reverend is kind of like a Christian yogi because he quotes the Bible when, he, when Jesus says, all these things I do, you can do too. Is that right, Rev? You'll do these things and even greater is what Jesus said. And even greater. And that idea that Jesus said, and even greater, come here, walk on water. You know what I mean? He's trying to say, do this. Do like me. Have so faith in that things happen. So Rev told me his sneaker business was going to blow up, okay. and it did. And he told okay. me Jesus put the sneaker on. Okay. He couldn't deny me because it blew up. Right. All right. But then he told me that he was going to get, it was a blessed business before he went to work. And of course, right. I didn't believe him. Right. But this time he said, that, you know, the, the, he's going to make a record. Let me tell mm-hmm. you this story. Because this he said, I'm going to make a record. And I know that I'm with him every day. He works in the shoe business. Right. And he spits a few rhymes when he cuts the records at the party. Like mm-hmm. tonight, he might sp- say something, but... Oh, you, you know, going to do a little something tonight, Sweet 450? I just get on the turntable, whatever, whatever. Right. But, but, but then he went and he said, I'm making the album, it's going to be blessed. Okay. And I'm thinking, well, all right. And I love him, and I know he's great, and I, made, I produced his records, his greatest records. I was right. with him in the studio. Okay. In 10 days, he made this album. 10 days. A song di- a day. Run, 10 days. A song a day. And every song is better than the last song. And he wrote the lyrics, not wrote them down. Mm-hmm. He just spit the lyrics after he laid the tracks on each day. Mm-hmm. And they're the greatest lyrics and the best vocals he's ever done. Ever. Ever. You saying that right now? I'm not ever. saying that. It's dope. Ever. Totally. I mean, we talking I mean, about King of Rock, King, my what, Adidas. Suck MCs. No, but I'm not. Don't I'm not sound old, but. Let me tell you why, Cole. Let me tell you why. Because it is in competition with nothing. It's vintage run. It's, you know, me... I got my mind up in Boston, crossing. I'm, I'm screaming. I'm not trying to be Jay Z. I'm right. being run. Right. It's you know. I'm, it's an 80s record. Once again, record. my friend, it's the rep. Just screaming and being run, and the beats are real big, and it got rock riffs. It's run, so it's only in competition with run. Okay. And I had made enough money that I didn't have to worry about an A and R. I didn't have to worry about nobody telling me you nothing. You controlled the nobody whole thing. cared. I had a deal on Def Jam. Nobody cared. Nobody mm-hmm. should have cared. So I locked myself in the studio, mm-hmm. and I just made. I just did run. And when you hear it, you'll be like, oh, that's run. But it's run top notch. Wow. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened since then. Now, it became a bidding war. Mm-hmm. It put me back in the record business because I wanted the manager to be part of it. So it became this big bidding war. And we ended up back home, right? So we, okay, here we are home, and, um, and we have this record. And then I got a call from, from um, Dodge. $80 million car commercial. They're using his single, which is called Mind on the Road. The one that we haven't heard yet. The one that y'all right. just holding out right. on. But, but that's what Do- Dodge is aware. You know, Dodge right. is... We have an agency, our own company called Rush Synergy. So there's $80 million in that. And then I'm on the phone just now, and EA Sports has this great offer. They keep offering new things to contribute to this synergistic program, which has to do with him Mm -hmm. serving his ministry. Because when you see him raising his family, it's it's a great service to the human family. It's a great service to the hip-hop family to see hip-hop grown out. Now... We're replacing the Osbournes, but again, it's about a functional family. MTV's never had a functional family. Right. And to see the black family in this way 
and to see a functional family like this and to be a hip-hop family, all these things are blessed ideas. And I think that's why they're coming together in the way they are. This is from 1982. This is 23 years ago. What does that feel like when you, when you, when you hear something like that, man? When I think about old stuff, I just always look forward. Stuff. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm, right, always, right. I'm always saying it, it doesn't, you know, I love it. It's, it's good when it's convenient, you know, if I mm-hmm. get to the front of the McDonald's lunch. What are you going to do? <laughs> no, nah, but I love Shouldn't it. Shouldn't eat McDonald's, so, man. Really, all right. So really fried chicken. chicken. So when, you, when you, you're talking about you. uh, <laughs> coming back out, Run Love, your first single. Yeah. And we're talking behind the scenes, and you're really talking about the record. And you know what's on the radio today. You know the yeah. music that we play. Where, yeah. do you, where do you fit in all of I this? Fit. Well, I fit. No, I, 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 what's well, the matter with you, I'm man? I'm going to answer one question, though. Why can't I say something? answer one question. Gotta love these the brothers. Reverend ain't never fit. I want to say something though, Rev. <laughs> then you can go, fair, please. Man. I say, all right, Rev. I, I say, well, say, can I answer the question? You answer that question. I'm, I'm going to let you answer right after. Right. Right. The, answer this, the answer is this, Kobe. I'm a man of very many hats. Okay. That's like asking me, why do I have a show on MTV? Okay. So in my mind, when you ask me, where does Run fit? Mm-hmm. I fit like, where does Prince fit? Where does you know any pop star fit? So it's not. I'm not concerned with. Where I fit, I'm always pioneering something. Where does okay. Reverend Run fit? Okay. So when I'm when when somebody hears that I'm gonna be replacing the Osbournes on MTV, that's where I fit. I fit okay. on MTV. I'm I'm Run, so I'm not looking at it like I have to compete with Fifty Cent. I'm Run. Okay. And I don't say that with ego. It's gonna fit. But right with but being you're Run. Be I don't know. No, it's gonna be Run, mm-hmm. and that's all I can tell you. And it's I gonna be you're gonna be ex- you personally gonna be excited to hear it. Okay. And I want to say something though. Okay. Russell's I remember when we made it like that, and nobody liked it. Nobody, except some club DJs who had good sense, could hear something that sounded totally different from everything else. And Rockbox. But wait a minute, let me finish, Rev. Now I'm going to talk. And then the B side, Suck MC, they want to know where the bass line is. Where's the bass line? Why would you make a record with no bass line? But the street could feel it. And then when we made Jam Master J, the loud scratching in the South Bronx and the disco fever where all the rappers hung out, it was so loud, Sweet G spilled his coke. And was mad at me because he wanted me to buy him new coke because he spilled his coke because the music was so loud it didn't sound like what was playing. And then when Rockbox came, I remember that everybody who didn't like Rockbox played what people do for money and ignored, especially here, ignored right. Rockbox because they were happy to play the, the records that sound like it's like that. Right. So in the best periods, Run only made records that were new and, and, and brought in new things. Mm-hmm. And those records were never, there was never records that sound like this. And even today... MTV and it's at its very best is trying to figure out how a rockers and a rappers fit together and it'd be honest and have integrity. Mm-hmm. Run made records that sounded like Run, and even if you play those records right now, they're the best records MTV could play, especially were, the new. Right, right before Jay passed, and I played for the president of MTV and a few rock people. That's what I'm saying. We playing it for the and the president, president of MTV, MTV said, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying I'm it's not the best record he's heard in the last 18 months. That was his opinion. You're gonna the play album. it. You're gonna hear it on a Dodge commercial every day. Right. It's like asking the Beastie Boys. Where do you think you're going to play? I'm not looking at it mm-hmm. as I have to worry about where it's going to play. It's going to play on television. It's going to okay. play on my reality show. It's going to play on a Dodge commercial. Okay. And um, it's going to play, and then you're going to like it, and you're going to play it later. Even if you don't, I'm not trying to get you to play it right now. Okay. That's my opinion. So I'm just having a good time. Yeah, but- and No, but I'm saying he'll play it. I'm just telling him my He'll plan. Play. Tell me he's going to play it again. Say what I'm, I'm not okay, worried about it. Say it, bro. I don't have any anxiety. I don't have any anxiety about nothing. Right. So my thing is, right before Jay passed, I was on tour with Aerosmith and Kid Rock. We were mm-hmm. doing stadiums. Okay. So somebody said, what have you been doing lately? Well, I've been, I've been closing the show every night in front of 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. So it's for me, I'm fine with what I'm getting ready to do. 
People don't know that I'm running a sneaker company with Russell. So it's always to be revealed what I'm doing, not to be filled with anxiety saying, what do you think about this new run record? I'm not right. going, that's not my approach. But you're not, you're not stressed like other, a lot At of artists all. are stressed. It's a lot Nothing of pressure. There's no pressure. A lot of artists from your era, when you were, when you guys were on top of the game, okay. from your era that still try to make records, there's a lot of stress and but pressure there. But see, LL again, I'm not worrying about that worked with. Not, not even LL. Well, I'm not talking. Wait a minute. I'm not talking about LL or the Beastie Boys again. I'm not thinking about being stressed. See, you can only have what you already are. Mm-hmm. I'm run. That's the end of that. I'm mm-hmm. Rev Run, and I'm not thinking about what you're thinking that I am because I'm already am what I am. Okay. And it's going to be what it's going to be. Okay. All right. I so want to say one more quick thing. One more thing, Russell, before we get to these phones. That's just mysticism. I, listen, I know when you play this butterfly record, the record, the phone's going to light up like a Christmas tree. Okay. So I know I must well, know something. Well, you know Touch Tone was the I one must that broke something. the record. And I know that when I tell you this record is hot, you know, I signed Jay-Z, This remember? record is hot. He's about to play. I, wait a minute. Did I sign Jay-Z? Yeah. All right. Did I wait? I signed quite a few artists in my days. You signed somebody named LL Cool J. No, that's a long time DC ago. I'm talking about Ja Rule. You signed everybody. Oh, that's signed Ja Rule? Murder yeah. Inc. is the Earth. Where's Earth yeah. from? Hollis? Come on, man. I tell you that I'm bringing you a record. <laughs> it's going to be hot. And I'm prom- you Russell so, Simmons. We huh? got that. And my point Ooh. wasn't to be, I wasn't being arrogant. I Ooh. was just saying, no, no, I in mysticism, mm-hmm. it's the way I look at it, Ooh. you are what you already are, the and ink. they can't take what you already are. So I'm going to okay. be sitting so there running at the end of the whole smoke of my album. Okay. So I think it'll be, I think it'll, y'all have a good time listening to it. I hope you enjoy my offering. We did Champions something. Hit. Right, right, right. We right, did right. something for John Whitehead, the, the legendary uh, writer from uh, McFadden Whitehead, who did "Ain't No Stopping Us Now." They had a big thing for him, and they gave Bernard the foundation, gave Bernard an award. And he made this really great speech. And the one thing about Bernard that's so awesome is his story, which you say you want to oh, make a movie. We're making a movie. You know what's what's so special? I mean, you don't expect boxers to be as articulate, right. intelligent, mm-hmm. and as, as resourceful, and all these things. And when you meet Bernard and you hear, it's so refreshing because a person who's in control, you know, and not, you know, being exploited, who's a boxer. That's need, a very cool Bernard and special inspiration, I think. needs to take you to the apartment that he has in this expensive condo that overlooks the Youth Study Center, lot that he used to play in when he was a teen, when he was in prison. That needs to be in the movie. That's how the movie needs to start that way. Turn it down this year. They're tearing the youth study center down. Talk on the mic. Talk on the mic. Yeah, right. Um, nineteenth and uh, nineteenth and uh, and 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 Hamilton. Um, it's the study center. Um, that I've often visit. Was there about a month ago. Um, and I'm always there, like at least twice a year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I can look right down. Um, from the penthouse. Um, and and see the yard I used to be in. And Behind the Glory was here last week for five days. Oh, the Fox thing. Okay. They flew in from L.A. to uh, um, to film me and to go to the prison. They mm-hmm. just did a 54 feet, 50 feet mural of me mm-hmm. um, in Greater Force State Penitentiary. But it's so profound that here I am at the top of a penthouse downtown in the middle of downtown near the art museum. Very expensive penthouse, at. by the way. And I can see and look right at the place that I spent many days uh, as a juvenile delinquent before I got certified as an adult to go to adult prison. So, Russell, you found that, that there, first shot. That there is an inspiration. First shot. But, but, Kobe, when I look out that window, it's not every day, but mm-hmm. when I do look out that window and I mm-hmm. see that you study center, even the status and where I'm at now is a, is a, is a check mark for me. They, mm-hmm. they keep me in remembrance of not living that life or, or thinking that life, you know, but it, it, it checks me. Okay. To realize that they are laws of the land here, no matter if you're a star or not a star. And there's a lot of examples that can show you that going on today <laughs> in court. So 
that is a reality check for Bernard Hopkins. Mm. And, it, and, it, and it get oh, tore man, down. It get tore down next year. Run, I get answered a question a lot through media and through Brian Gumbel, Real Sports, last summer when I, 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 they hosted me on that. They said, well, Bernard, did you ever believe that you would be in this position knowing the background? I said, look, when I came home at 22 years old, with nine years to walk off as a parole, you know, as parole, to walk off without a violation, with a GED with nine felonies against me, I just wanted to stay out of penitentiary. Mm. I said, and they said, you, you never know, wanted to go back. Yeah, my thing was to walk off nine years at 22 years old with a GED with eight felonies. Mm. Nobody's hiring Bernard Hopkins at an office nowhere. Right. You know that application that says, have you ever been convicted <laughs> in the last... <laughs> Yo, I couldn't take that mark. I couldn't fill that in. Eight okay. felonies. My first job, which is well documented, at Penn Tower Hotel, which is still existing, right. the Children's Hospital. Street, I worked uh, there a year and a half. Mm -hmm. They did an article in the Philadelphia newspaper when I was six and zero. Oh. Mm -hmm. No, six and one. I lost my first fight as a professional. That was a defeat. I could have gave up. My first right. fight, I lost. Right. Beautiful. I got a write up. Where this guy come from? All of a sudden, I was knocking everybody out early, mm -hmm. and they did a story, and it says that I, you know. I, Locked up for robbery and boom, boom, boom. They fired me because I never filed, never attached that to. Wow. That was the crucial moment of, of my life because in my record, I started in 88 in boxing. From 89 to 90, I didn't box. Why? That was in crucial. Now that I went out and on the streets and didn't think, but that, that year and a half was a very crucial time in my life. And once I started my career back over, I've been undefeated over a decade since 1993 because I lost again to Roy by decision. Roy Jones Jr., the great Roy Jones Jr. Right. Who you can't since get a fight 1993, with. May 22nd at RFK Stadium under the Riddick Bowe and Jesse Ferguson card in D.C. Still mm -hmm. remember like it was yesterday, even though I got 52 fights. I told him that I'm, I don't like losing, and I want to make sure that it doesn't happen unless I get carried out of the ring. Mm. Since 1993, and this is 2005, I lived up to that promise. Mm. That's the inspiration I want everyone that's listening to this radio station, this interview with Ron and, and Russell and myself, is that everyone here has a story to, ed to educate and to expire, ex you know, expire anybody to do the right thing. And, and if you need any, any inspiration from any of, of us three, mm -hmm. then we have more to overfill a cup. So, I mean, that was my I whole thing that. is to never go back to penitentiary as an inmate. But I have been back. But not as Y4145, which is my, my prison name wow. that I'll never forget. And still have the ID card. You talking, I man. still have the ID card with a P coat on. Of course, I had a, a kid and play haircut. <laughs> but uh, I still have it. It's a reflection of I what I came that. from. That's what's up, man. Wow. Wasn't that an interesting interview? What powerful messages um, Bernard Hopkins has. And it was just interesting to hear legends talk about their careers and uh, that was a really good interview, man. I had a lot of fun with them that day. And this was a fun podcast to put together. Run DMC has such an impact on me and inspired me to be on the radio. The fact that I was able to interview them several times was such a blessing. Thank you all for listening to the Backstory Podcast. And let me know what you think. Please leave a comment. And uh, also, you can reach out to me on social media. We can always have a conversation there. You can follow me at BackstoryPCC on all socials, at Kobe Kobe on Twitter, that's C-O-L-B-Y-C-O-L-B, -B, and at official Kobe Kobe on Instagram. I look forward to the feedback and the commentary. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so and download. On the next episode of the Backstory Podcast. The story of Christopher Notorious B.I.G. Wallace. This is basically a life story, you know what I'm saying? Just, I just laid everything that I experienced or witnessed, you know what I'm saying? 
and my days on the streets and just lay it on some, on some wax. Thank you for listening. I'm Kobe Cole.